0: about something that's probably worth discussing and, you know, a trend that we've seen and, and, you know, you might, might see it in your, your world as well, but just, you know, kind of the way we think about it is doing good is good business. Right. And, and for so long, you know, I think there was probably, you know, a sentiment that, you know, it, you couldn't, you know, you, you kind of need to separate charity from, you know, from investing. Right. But what we've seen anecdotally in our portfolio is, is the companies that, are actually very mission-driven, mission-aligned that, you know, are sort of thinking about sort of those ESG metrics, if you will, thinking about, you know, are are they
1: Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show is part two with Wes Barton, managing partner at Third Prime. If you want to check that out, it's Third Prime VC, venture capital firm. He's deployed $100 million already. Wes, kind of picking up where we left off at the end of part one. When you think about entrepreneurs and raising money or funds and raising money and the point that you brought up of, there is a lot of competition in your mind. What are some of your favorite books or some of your favorite thinkers or anybody out there when it comes to differentiating and not just thinking you're different, but actually being different?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. There's a lot of content out there. I mean, I actually think now that, you know, that Twitter is one of the best resources, right? Like, you know, you can really start to follow a lot of folks that are, that are publishing. I think, um, you know, so, some 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 fantastic material, and, and you know, you can actually get uh, you know get a, a decent back and forth going, and, and so I, I think that is just an incredible way to sort of access you know sort of what's what's happening in, in in your respective you know sort of industry. You know, there's there's tons of fun you know fundraising materials out there. You know, whether it be people posting on Medium, there's a lot of great blogs you know as well that that I think have have some fantastic material, and you know, just obviously podcast. I think that is. That is, you know, when when you look at sort of the way that's exploded in the last few years, just to be able to sort of, you know, listen to some entrepreneurs, listen to, you know, venture capitalists talk about how they think about, you know, investing in companies and entrepreneurs talking about how they build companies. I just think, you know, I, while, while books obviously, you know, have you know tremendous amount of content, I, I just believe today – you know being able to sort of you know you know listen to a podcast on your commute or you know just just flip open twitter and and you know sort of looking at things that are just really really punchy you know i frankly feel like that's that's sort of where we're getting the best bang for the buck these days
1: you know it's interesting you bring up those mediums i think about i think about how often we take advice from our buddy who claims to know something but hasn't had personal experience and yet you know one youtube keynote speech from now or one podcast from now we can actually hear it right from the horse's mouth of like somebody who is doing that and what their opinions are, you know, like for me, I like hearing what you're doing with family offices and uh, fund of funds and stuff like that, because our, well our fund is targeted at high net worth entrepreneurs and we're kind of, we're trying not to compete with Blackstone and Brookfield in decades, you know, in years in the future, I likely will. So I can sit around and talk to my entrepreneur buddies. I can talk to my old M&A buddies when I was at city or whatever. Right. But they're not, they haven't been in any meetings this year. <laughs> with an institutional investor like that, having this conversation, right? So when you think about how, I'm interested in your, in your thought. Why do you think it is that more people take so much investing advice from, from their you know, golfing buddy instead of watching Warren Buffett videos on YouTube? Or why do you think that people are reading some random blog about fundraising instead of looking at you know, you know, you know, principles at Y Combinator, principles at Sequoia, their YouTube video? about a pitch deck?
0: Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, there's there's a bit of a herd mentality, right? So, you know, if you're out playing golf with a bunch of buddies, you probably want to invest in the same thing that the other members of the foursome are, are invested in, right? It just, you know, I, I think there's there's definitely an aspect to that. You know, independent thought is not all that common, frankly, these days. I, I think it takes a lot of work, actually, to, to sort of, you know, determine your own views. And, you know, I, I think, you know, Warren, you know Warren Buffett has, has obviously walked it for a long time, and you know he talks about being patient. You know when, when others are are more greedy, but but that's hard to do, right? I, I think our, our you know human, by human nature, you know when a stock starts to run, you know there's there's a lot of fear of missing out, right? You know your your buddy's telling you how much money he made, and you know your your wife, you know you go home and she says why didn't you do that, right? And so. And, 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 and so I think uh, that that's a big part of it. And, you know, also even, even when you look at sort of Twitter and all these things, right, there's just a lot of chatter out there, right? There's just a lot of noise. There's a lot of places, you know, a lot of information coming at you and figure out what, what you truly believe rather than, you know, what folks are telling you to believe, you know, there's a lot of noise. And so it, it, it's hard to find that independent thought, but, you know, I think if you, if you take the time and, and sort of you you work to form your own view that there's, you know, increasing opportunity, there, there's not a lot of fundamental investors out there anymore, you know, that there are not a lot of people that aren't sort of, you know, part of that herd mentality.
1: Yeah. I'm actually really interested in hearing any of your strategies for contrarian thinking. You know, it's obviously it's harder. Like you think about somebody like Howard Marks or other guys at Brookfield, right? You know, Oak Tree now purchased by Brookfield. And it's like you make money by not going with the crowd. But by definition, it's harder to be right when you're not going with the crowd right? So you have to not only be different, but you have to be different and good. You know, you have to be different and correct. Any thoughts about how to gauge that when you're making your investments of not just doing what everybody else is doing?
0: Yeah. You know, i I tell you this. I mean, it's, it's, it's even more difficult as might be aware, but you know, we're investing typically at this companies, if they're going to be worth, you know, billions of dollars, there's going to be a series a round and a series B round and so forth. So, so one of our most important jobs is to make sure that we can hand them off to that later stage investor that's got even more capital right to, to deploy to, to help the company grow so if we're willing to take a contrarian bet at the seed stage right we've got to have confidence that there's going to be somebody at the series a stage that also will believe as we do so it makes it it makes it harder right so you know we can buy a public company stock right and we never have to worry about that handoff we never have to you know worry about that that company is is going to be in, just truly exceptional level that that might, you know, be beyond what there would be required to appear. you know just again, because they're sort of, you know, sort of skating in a different direction that maybe just the masses, you know, aren't, aren't aren't sort of believers in.
1: Well, and I think about this for fundraising at the fund level as well, right? It's like, like, for instance, right now, with our Greystoke investments, we are really pursuing, uh, you know, multifamily approach and like, you know, downtown locations where these apartment buildings, it's hard for competitive buildings to be built nearby because it's all fully built out, right? And I do not get much pushback on that. We just, you know, we got our paper back from the lawyers recently, so we're actually fundraising. And I go and meet with these, you know, different millionaire guys that I know. And and they're like, they are I'm not getting a lot of pushback on apartments, but I'm thinking like, really? Like the exciting stuff is not apartments. That's going to be good. That's safe. Keep the lights on money for now. But like, you look at like, retail, like retail is so hated right now, the opportunity to go in and buy it at a good price and then do something like, you know, get rid of the clothing stores and the stuff that's losing so much money and put in, you know, a Tesla showroom and work with e-commerce companies. And, you know, in those, the middle of a population center and access to a great highway, you know, those parking lots could make great locations for last meal, last mile industrial for Amazon to, to have local local shipping centers for that community, right? You know, putting apartment buildings on top of those spaces and and putting like nice restaurants and experiential stuff in with those those brands that would normally be dying in a mall, you just replace it, right? So like I get buying a mall and holding is probably a terrible idea, right? But the opportunity to buy like potentially significantly undervalued assets because people don't see a vision, like that's a great opportunity, except you then also have to get the investors to want to get into that, right? Yeah. So this idea of not only do you have to discover something that's different and has a high probability of being correct, you then now have to evangelize it to how many folks, right? In our case, it's evangelized ahead of time. So they'll get into a fund like that. In your case, it's this what if factor of like, well, I spend my money now and I'm hoping I'm going to be able to evangelize that later of like, no, Huntsville is a great place for the company like this to be from. Can you talk about that?
0: Yeah, no, look, uh... I think you're right, and and you know the the difficult thing is sort of the element of time and all this, right? That that you got to look at sort of you know how long is it going to take you know for for sort of your you know your bet to play out, and so you know recognizing that you know again that that the duration has to line up, and so you know in our cases you know most of our investments you know we're going to end up holding you know seven eight nine years you know before before we monetize. And like I said, you know, a lot of things sort of have to go right, and you know, there's there's real illiquidity, you know, illiquidity, uh, you know, premium that we've got to have here, and so, you know, I, I think that's that's something to take into account is. You know, anytime you're asking somebody to lock up their money for, you know, 10 years, which is sort of the life of each of our funds, you know, that there's oftentimes just a, a reticence for them to say, yeah, you know, I want you out here just, you know, taking sort of these, you know, these, these really contrarian bets. You know, we do on occasion, again, that's sort of where the portfolio construction comes in that we'll say, look, we won't have, you know, more than twenty percent of the fund that's gonna be, you know, a little bit, you know, sort of off the reservation, if you will, but you know, we we we're mindful of that. So, so I agree. And it's just, it's difficult. It's hard enough to raise money, you know, and, and, you know, again, until you really have that flywheel turning, right, where you've just got such a track record, you know, you've proven yourself so many times, you can go out and say, hey, listen, you know, look, they didn't believe me when I said this was going to happen. Right. But, but it did, you know, it's a lot easier to sell them on the second or third one. but
1: (laughs) But But you have to make it to a second and third one.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so I think you know the first, you know, it's sort of like you know what's the path of least resistance, if you will, because the path is really hard, and you know there are a lot of people that that are looking to scale that same mountain. And you know, again, it's not to say it can't be done, but if you go out here and you know you can show that you know you get into the same deal, you know, with Andreessen Horowitz, and you know you you and you know invest in that. Ivy League graduate, right? It's just, it's just easier than, than if you say, Hey, I'm, I'm out here, you know, going it alone and I'm investing, you know, with somebody that didn't, you know, didn't graduate from high school, not to say he's not an incredible, he or she's not an incredible entrepreneur, but again, until that proves out, it's just, it's just harder to convince them of that, you know, rather than, rather than doing what sort of they're more comfortable with. And
1: yet the Ivy League person who's from the right town, there's so much more competition for that deal There's it it continually lowers the probability that you're getting an excellent valuation that your, you know your margin of safety from having purchased at a great price continually is you know it's like, you know, Warren Buffett you pay a high price for a cheery consensus right yeah well you know maybe shifting gears here a little bit I'm thinking about changes for me like going from doing deals and managing in the single digit millions to then in the tens of millions there was a real shift in. Organization and being professionalized, and it's not just guys doing a deal, right? What about breaking the hundred million dollar mark? How is that? What's that evolution been like for you?
0: Yeah, so so obviously you got to think a lot about the team, and you got to think about you know managing the business, right? There's a lot that just sort of goes into you know sort of the back office, if you will. You know, we've we've got audited financials, we've got you know quarterly reports that we provide to you know a growing number of investors. Obviously, you know the the portfolio was growing in terms of number of the companies that that you know we're, we're sort of working with every day. So thinking about how you scale that infrastructure, right? Because we make a promise to these entrepreneurs to be there, you know, to help them to you know pick up the phone at midnight. And so so that's something that that we've you know been been very mindful of, you know, building out our team with with folks that that are very competent, very capable, very very passionate about this. Also, you know, as you think about scaling, right, finding you know partners, you know, whether it be you know, your, you know, your lawyers or, you know, we outsource, you know, fund administration, you know, making sure people are going to be very efficient, you know, that you've got a lot of trust in their ability to, you know, to do what they say they're going to do. You know, that's a big aspect of it. And, you know, as you're writing, you know, sort of larger and larger checks as well, just just making sure that there's no style drift, right? You know, what's worked for us, you know, we were writing, you know, $500,000 checks, we want to make sure that that, you know, that also works writing two and a a half, $3 million checks, right? So, yeah, I think it's it's important to just, you know, be very, very thoughtful of that. And, you know, for us, it's always been about, you know, not, you know, we're big, big investors in our own funds. And so for us, it's just making sure that we always, you know, keep, you know, performance as our North Star, not, you know, assets under management. And if we ever get to the point where we feel like, you know, we're not able to generate, you know, those 30% gross IRRs, you know, in our funds, you know that's probably where we need to you know sort of say all right this is where we you know we stop growing let's let's continue to just raise you know 100 million dollars every fund as opposed to trying to scale it up and do 250 right right sort of you know our sourcing channels the way we operate you know just just doesn't fit that strategy so I think that that's something that we've you know we've been very mindful of it's something we think a lot about and you know so far I believe we've we, we've you know been been scaling quite you know quite efficiently
1: yeah anything you didn't expect anything that was surprising.
0: You know, I I would say it's a good question, and I've not really thought about it. You know, I, I would say that I'm probably surprised by how fast venture as an asset class has taken off. You know, when we first started doing these deals in 2010, it was rare to see anybody throw a competing term sheet. You know, now I think, you know, we've got, you know, so many companies that have done, you know, very, very well and gone public. People know that there's a lot of dollars to be made in the asset class. You know, we're seeing more. You know, more. You know, more competition, more capital flow in, which I think is is a great thing for the entrepreneurs. You know, I think invariably what it does is, you know, you look at you know real estate. You know, decades ago, you know that asset class was returning in the twenty percent. You know, today that's down in the high single digits. Private equity also seeing a lot of compression, and you know, look, frankly, I think you know venture as an asset class is going to have to see compression, right? And so, again, while, while I think that'll help advance society, it, it makes my job more difficult, right? There's 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 more folks that I've got to compete with every day, but you know, again, by, by investing in the entrepreneurs and trying to invest in the relationships, you know, doing the right thing by you know by, by our investors, you know, hopefully we you know we we at least have enough of a head start here that we can we can sort of hold the competition off.
1: Yeah, well. We've covered a range of subjects here. What's What's a question I didn't ask that you would want to
0: answer? Oh wow, never had never had anybody ask me that.
1: Or what's like a soapbox issue for you? It doesn't even have to do with the business. It could be about anything. What's What's something you're passionate about? What's something that you'd want to share with people? What's
0: Yeah, I, look, I, I think it's probably you know this this thing it's led us into a lot of these you know sort of you know smaller markets and it's just you know sort of the level of talent that i think exists outside of you know new york city and and you know san francisco and i think especially today you know you're seeing a lot of folks that that are recognizing given you know what we're you know doing with with zoom and and so forth productivity remains high that that you don't have to be sitting in a in a venture hotbed you know in order to you know to find financing to to recruit you know talent to build you know to build the company and 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 just you know look again that's sort of what Steve Case has been pounding the drum on for a while but you know it's a lot cheaper you know to build a company in in, in Salt Lake just where you are or you know heck in, in Kentucky where I'm sitting today right you you can find folks that are willing to do that job I mean you know not, not that you know there's many engineers you know, in Glasgow, Kentucky, as there are in San Francisco, right? But, you know, today, the, you know, the, the remote workforce is is there as well, where I think, you know, you can sit here and, you know, you can recruit talent, not only, you know, across the country, but across the globe, right? We've got a lot of companies working with entrepreneurs, I'm sorry, engineers in Africa and, you know, Eastern Europe and elsewhere.
1: You know, I think about that a lot, actually. Uh, I lived in LA for years in Orange County. And I think about like, you know, I had a, I used to have an office at Bryant Park, uh, there in Manhattan with something else I was doing. And and we will have another New York office, I'm sure. But I also look at like Goldman Sachs, you know, they their second largest office in the world is in Salt Lake City, Utah, where the salary expectations are going to be like a third. You know what I mean? a Half to a third in a lot of cases. And the, the cost of living is so much cheaper here that you can get by. I mean, like the houses here, really nice houses here have got to be, I don't know, a third, a quarter of oh, yeah. what they were when I lived in Huntington Beach in San Clemente you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, there's a real economic impact of that, of, of having a diversified workplace. And and you look at how many folks like, you know, offshoring jobs and that kind of thing used to be looked down on in certain ways, but the whole virtual assistant world and, and do having certain things done overseas has kind of lost a lot of its negative stigma insert for certain roles. You know what I mean? And, you know people willing to be creative and, like you said do a lot more over zoom. there's some real financial upside to that right
0: yeah yeah we've we, we've noticed this trend we we've got some you know some companies that we're invested in that that have gone sort of remote from the jump and and so that you know it's just a distributed workforce you know where there's there's effectively no headquarters. And they're doing they're doing very very well. And again, they're you know they're, they're employee based. They're saving money on that. I think they're finding a higher level of talent because they can they can you know sort of find the best person for the job, irrespective of sitting in New York City or you know San Francisco. So so yeah, I, I think there's a really really strong movement you know sort of toward toward that. And you know what that does to you know sort of real estate in San Francisco and New York and some of these places, I think is you know is very interesting to discuss. As, as we were sitting there talking, you know, uh, Jess, I was also thinking about something that's probably worth discussing, you know, a trend that we've seen. And, and, you know, you might might see it in your your world as well, but just, you know, kind of the way we think about it is doing good is good business, right? And and, and for so long, you know, I think there was probably, you know, a sentiment that, you know, it, you couldn't, you know, you, you kind of need to separate charity from, you know, from investing, right? But what we've seen anecdotally in our portfolio is, is the companies that, are actually very mission driven, mission aligned, that you know, are sort of thinking about sort of those ESG metrics, if you will, thinking about, you know, are, are they diverse? Are they doing good for the world, right? Are they being mindful of you know all stakeholders? You've probably heard of you know this this term stakeholder capitalism, right? Where you're thinking about the you know the employees, the you know the supply chain, you know, the in addition to the equity holders, right? You know, I, I think there's a very, very strong uh, and durable movement. You know, uh, in that as well, especially as you look at sort of the younger demographics and what they demand out of companies. As we underwrite, you know, investments, it's something that we're very, very thoughtful of. Not only do I think that you you find, you know, sort of lower customer acquisition cost in many instances if you you know very transparent, if you're high integrity in that regard, but you're also you know sort of recruiting talent more readily. I think than, than some companies that maybe are are on the wrong side of that.
1: You know, I was thinking about, I did some work with the head of the Forbes impact investing group, Brendan Doherty, and he had me out to one of their conferences in New York. And I think about those rooms and like my experience is a lot more the, the first gen wealth builders, you know, they're, they're so often in like the survival mode of like do or die mode, but, but really that next gen, you know, that next generation that's getting the money handed off, like it's very cool to care about that stuff. And I think sometimes it it runs away with them in certain cases because it's it's like a, it's almost like a replacement for my value as a human being, right? And and obviously that can be a problem. But there are a lot of folks who like they grew up wealthy. They don't have quite the hunger and the like the insatiableness for making it and proving it. They've been they've been treated special their whole life, right? And now their way of being special is doing stuff doing stuff that's great, you know. One of the interviews we had a little while back, Justin mine. I mean, his dad was the largest independent power producer in the entire state of New York. Like th- that family's doing well, right? And, and he, what he and his brother are doing are really interesting investments. I mean, one of the ones he was on the show talking about is like just the millions of pounds of food waste coming out of grocery stores and the back end, you know, Walmart grocery store and all these kind of things, right? All this food that goes to waste that they are turning into pet food. And it's like actually really high quality pet food because it was, you know, it was human grade food about 24 hours ago, you know, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. from a like, from an efficiency for society standpoint, it's actually a really big benefit. And I think, you know, especially growing up in, you know, small farming communities, wastefulness was not a, uh, was not an admired <laughs> kind of trait, yeah. right? And. I- and there's a certain population that loves the stuff he's doing. You know, he got involved in a, a straw company that is made out of seaweed that like, it doesn't kill the turtles. Turtles can actually eat it because it's literally seaweed, but you know, it takes a couple weeks to break down. But anyways. Yeah. So it, it is fascinating to see how, how that shifts across demographics. And I think about it because so often I see baby boomers criticizing our generation and certainly the folks younger than our generation and, Sometimes for good (laughs) reasons. Right. But at the same time there, it is interesting to see like our charity child rescue, how many folks from the business community have come out of the word work to help and, and to fund undercover rescue Mm -hmm. missions and aftercare facilities and stuff. It's, I guess the news can sometimes make me really cynical and what you're talking about makes me really hopeful
0: for the future yeah yeah and you know look we 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 spent a lot of time you know thinking about it and you know trying to trying to validate it and make sure it's not just you know sort of you know an anecdote you know uh, from our portfolio but yeah i think you're starting to see more and more research that suggests i think it was bank of america that that had published a paper probably a year ago now but you know sort of those companies that that were scoring high on esg measures were sort of outperforming the sp by you know 300 basis points and you know, then you look at those who are scoring lowest on on sort of those ESG measures, were, were were laggards by by a meaningful amount. So I think, I think there's it feels like there's the pendulum is starting to swing a little bit that, you know, that that you can actually you know do you know do good and and actually you know make a make a great return as well. And and for some of those reasons you've touched on and, and some of the things that we're seeing about just again the ability to recruit you know talent. I think the the younger folks less and less are sort of trying to optimize for the highest salary, but you know optimizing for you know, you know, again, sort of taking a job or working on something that, that provides them with, you know, real level of fulfillment. And so I, I like I said, I, I just think it's a really enduring trend. It's something we're keeping an eye on.
1: Yeah. I will say, I have been surprised at how much it's mattered to staff of ours when I didn't, you know, like we, we've had the charity for 10 years, we've done a lot. You kind of, I don't know, it just kind of becomes part of the routine. Right. And it's interesting, like, you know, staff, maybe like, a ways into their first year they'll tell you like how meaningful it's been to be able to have some work time to help out with the charity and you know just it's matter and you're like i don't know i guess i didn't really think it would- i mean i hoped it would matter but i didn't really sometimes you almost wonder if it's just like a buzzword or like a marketing thing but they're really excited to be a part of something that mattered
0: yeah i i fully agree i mean we we see it you know sort of every day you know we a lot of our companies they're they're constantly recruiting we're trying to help them recruit talent and so we're 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 in the market and uh, you know you you can just see that, that that folks are really gravitating toward those type positions and so i look i think it's i think it's fantastic i'm really happy to see it
1: that's great well listen besides well tell everybody your your twitter handle again here
0: yeah it's uh uh Farmer underscore VC. So, so as we talked about, I grew up on a grew up on a farm. Like to like to think that I'm the first tobacco farmer turned VC. So that's that's the source of the handle.
1: That's great. And the website everybody is thirdprime.vc. Well, well, it's been a fun conversation. I'm glad you made time to come on.
0: Yeah, Jess. Listen, really appreciate it. Uh, enjoyed it as well, and you know, hopefully, you know, do it again.
1: Yeah, that's great. Okay, bye, everybody.